What is up, everybody? This is the World on Drugs. A little bit of that wad pod for that arse. I'm your host, Steve Fury. I don't really remember how I edit these podcasts, but if this is the first thing you hear, fine. But if I'm saying welcome to the wad pod 1,700 times, get used to it, buddy. Shit's not changing. We have a fantastic episode today. It's all about the Albanian mafia. What? you dirty dirty little girl it is true it's all about the albanian mafia and if you want to get into them this is the story of nasir kelmendi and the albanian mom because of yugoslavia albania had more than enough opportunity to stick its toes in the field of organized crime and the local mob has done that in more ways than one capitalizing on tumultuous grounds in the last 30 years albania and the mobs within have shifted from being grunts for larger well-established mobs to front-running one of the largest organized crime syndicates in the Western Europe and acting as mules for around 80% of the heroin trafficked through the area. Nasir Kalmendi epitomizes what these mobs can produce. Before sentencing in 2018, he was the head of the largest heroin smuggling operation in Western Europe, and he and his three sons are known for buying 10 cars a year, owning more real estate than any family can manage, and loan sharking with interest rates over 10% per month. As he's currently sitting pretty in jail, we feel safe enough to say that the Kalmendi clan is one of the most dangerous crime families in the world today. Guys, this is a pretty fun episode. This one did a little research by our guy, Gray Livingston. Hey, buddy. He was sick with COVID. So I wish him a little, get a little better, right? That's, that's, that's fucking people up. Yeah, so why did we choose this mob? Um, I don't know, man. I definitely, I was about to say we're running short on gangs and stuff. We're definitely not. There's hundreds of, probably hundreds of other ones we can go into. I just thought this one would be fun. Let's get into a different mob. You know, Albanian, that name sounds ominous, you know. So I kind of got a taken taken vibe to that kind of mob. Um, what these guys do is they're pretty much working for the Sicilian Mafia, and they bring in heroin through Turkey into there, and they bring it up to Italy, and then they bring it all over town. The Really, the coolest thing was when we started talking about the pizza connection, and that explains why there are so many pizza restaurants in New York. And guess what? It's not pizza. Wow. <laughs> How have I been? Um, pretty good, man. Last week, um, did a store spot, probably. Did okay, I'm guessing. I don't really remember it. Um, this week, I only got one. I'm a little sad, man, because I feel like uh, there's some guys around me that are getting a lot more. And, you know, I've been think I talked to my mother today, had a long conversation, and it really, I, I brought up a bunch of stuff, and a lot of it really came down to me having some ego problems lately, and I think I need to switch those up, you know, because I'm looking at some guys getting way more store spots than me, and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? But really the trick, you know, biggest thing is con- in my comedy is I'm like, do I think I'm better than I am? That's something that haunts me um, constantly because I think I'm good enough to uh, do some things, but uh, maybe I'm not. You know, maybe could, one of the biggest things in comedy, and if you ever see a guy and you go, that guy stinks, how does he not know? I think it's because you can't heal the laughter of those people. They don't They don't really go up there knowing if they're good at comedy, if they're good at st- doing stand-up, if anything like that. They go up there and they say, did I recite my jokes? Yes. Then I did good. Kind of like they attack... Uh, comedy like someone would guitar hero 
you know. Did I do well? Yeah, fine. I listen to the laughs. And actually, you know what? I do listen to the laughs, and I'm pretty funny. I know this because of my week at Zany's Nashville. So if you don't know what Zany's Nashville is, I would say there are, aside from both coasts, a la Comedy Cellar and the Comedy Store, Zany's Nashville is probably top one or two comedy clubs in America. Um, it'd probably go them and Comedy Works Denver. And what does a comedy club, Steve, what does a good comedy club do? Doesn't everyone travel around? What about all the improvs? I do fucking love the improvs. If you have an improv in your city, go. Probably eat a burger. They tend to have really good food. Um, hmm. What sets this club apart? Old, 30 plus years old, great stories run well they're very comic friendly a lot of comedy clubs sometimes when you get to them they act like they're doing you a favor it's like buddy no one's coming here for the chicken tenders that you just flash fried they're coming here for the comedy so that you can sell fucking chicken tenders they work on the complete opposite way of that so one great way is a great green room how is this green room? Uh, you know, a bunch of cool old posters, stuff like that. Normally, you can have kind of a real cool, funky green room, and that's kind of fun. This wasn't this. The reason that set these guys' green room apart, um, they had a stocked fridge, my guys. I'm talking real deal. Three layers. Top layer, you know, we're starting off with your Cokes, your Sprites on one side. One side, we're going with uh, your domestics, kind of like the Bud Lights, the Coors Lights. Second row on the soda side, you got your energy drinks, your Gatorades, your Gatorades, Gatorades, Powerades, stuff like that. Red Bulls, Monsters. On the beer side, they start getting into some good ones, and I don't mean like that cool IPA down the block or Sierra Nevadas, which both I'm f- uh, fans of. They had this bitch stocked with some Yinglings, some Labatt Blues. I'm talking Pokemon Charizard level. There's a bush. There's a bush light in there. Like Pokemon Charizard first edition level beers. Like beers that are common other places, but you can't really get them. So that means, what was I drinking all weekend? Smashing some Labats, you bitch. I was. I was pounding Labat Blues the whole time. And then on the bottom level, uh, one was Fiji water. It was just very nice water. And then the other one was um, just like microbrews. But... uh. I think I told you guys about what happened on that Laughs Unlimited show in Sacramento a couple weeks where I got blackout drunk and then failed miserably at my task and I'll probably never work that comedy club again. Well, that kind of changed quite a lot for me, so now I haven't really been drinking hard alcohol before I go up. I have the ability to drink beer, honest to God. If I'm just drinking like a Coors Light or a Bud Light or something like that, I don't necessarily know if I will ever get drunk. You know, if I'm having one an hour, two an hour... I don't really think that is uh, in my future whatsoever. So I can drink those. So I was like, okay, no hard alcohol. I'll just go in, drink a couple beers. Okay, so I land in Nashville. I'm looking at Nashville. And when you're flying in, I flew on an American. God, what a piece of shit airline is. God damn. They're the Dude, okay, so there's like the middle seating, the front, front row, first row. Yeah, some seats are open there. I get it. I don't deserve to be bumped up there. Then there's kind of like this business class. And then there's the class in the back. So the business class had no one in it and the back class was fucking packed and it's like dude we are still in covid my guy move some people around they don't do that they're assholes but if you do fly across country often there's often a tv in front of you 
and where I don't watch whatever bullshit things that they bought. I love watching my plane cross across the country. It's always fun. Get little uh, updates. So I'm watching it go into Nashville, and I see Knoxville. I'm just looking at Knoxville. I'm like, that's a funny, that's a funny word. Fly in. I get a comedy condo. So if you don't know what a comedy condo is, um, normally when you're kind of a shittier club, that not this place, but like a shittier C room, probably like your local Looney Bins or your Chuckle Huts or your one-off comedy club where you go there and you're like, I just want to watch comedy. And you're not like, I want to go watch Burt Kreischer. Those have these things called comedy condos, normally an apartment or an old house. And what they do is, like a hotel, um, they just have the comics that week stay there. And unlike a hotel, they don't clean it very well. And it is very kind of weird. Um, this place, though, is an A1 club, Zanies is, right? So they had the headliners in two of their own, I'll tell you why, there's two of them, two of their own uh, hotels, nice hotels. And so I got the comedy condo just myself. So it's about a two-story townhouse across the street from the venue. Two beds. The beds themselves, not great, but I'm getting paid to do comedy in Nashville. I don't have to pay for somewhere to stay. doesn't have to do a weird Airbnb. I'm fine. Having a good time. Okay. I brought a shit ton of weed. Um, I, you could, if you don't know this yet, you can fly out of California, any airport, with up to, I think, a half a pound of marijuana. And we go, well, Steve, will they get me? I couldn't tell you how many times I've done this. I fly more than you do. I guarantee it. I travel more than you do. I guarantee it. And I probably smoke more weed than you do. So just listen to me on this one. You can travel out. They're looking for bombs, okay? Um, I remember one time I was in line. I had about a jar full of weed in my backpack, right? And I'm in line. This is one of those ones in LAX where it's, I think I was going to New York. That's why I need to bring all the weed. I'm in line. It's one of those ones that are like snaking around. I can't even see the fucking, the fucking metal detectors, my guy. I'm just back there. And I'm like, someone is smoking some loud. This motherfucker is really fucking lighting it up. And then I'm like smelling, I'm like, it's me. And I open my backpack, and the jar of weed, think of a cur jar, had opened. And now there's weed everywhere in my backpack, all over my clothes. Everywhere. So I'm tripping balls, but I'm also in the middle of a security line. And when you're in the middle of like the, one of these security lines at the airport, you can't just like in the middle of it look into your backpack, then get out. So I was like, fuck, I'm just going to see this one through. I'm getting up there, and they start walking a, what I thought was a drug dog. Big-ass German Shepherd coming by me. But at this point, I had flown a couple times with weed, but I was still just like, you know, maybe they just, you know, maybe it's a cool guy working. So the dog's getting to me. I'm pooping my pants. Diarrhea's running down my leg. Dog looks up at me, keeps going. I get through. No one tripped about anything. I had literally two and a half, three ounces on me. So if you can fly with that aid. So I get there. In Nashville, because, you know, a lot of times when you travel, especially like when I travel with a headliner, I know I have someone to go hang out with and stuff like that. But here I didn't travel with a headliner. I traveled by myself. and I didn't know if the guys I was working with would like me. So I get there, bring a bunch of weed. I start smoking some weed. But I haven't smoking weed before I do stand up anymore. When I first started, I would get uh, what do they call it? Fucking lit and go up there and meander, see what I can do. Now it just doesn't work to me. It just doesn't work for me. Um, I don't feel engaged. I don't feel there. I don't feel present. My perfect stand-up recipe. Two beers, two shots. Maybe an extra shot. Three beers, two shots. And that is me. That's loose. Steve, he's having a goddamn good time. 
But since all the stuff happened before that left some limited gig, I'm like, okay, let's just be cool. I'm chilling. And Lucy, the booker of Zanies, hits me up. She's like, hey, dude. Or I go, I go, can I smoke in this condo? And she's like, you got weed? Can I? And I was like, yeah, you want to come over? So then she comes over a little before the show. We smoke weed, not very much, but a little too close, close to the call. Okay, so get to the club about show starting in two hours. So, you know, if you smoke weed two hours later, you're probably okay. But you're probably like, you know, a little groggy. So I get there a little groggy. I walk in the room, and the, to the, it's on Thursday, and there's only one show. I walk in there, and Shane Gillis is there. If you know Shane Gillis, he has the funniest sketch shows on YouTube right now. It's called uh, Gillian Keeves. And I kind of look up to the guy. I've always just really respected him. So I get there. I meet him for the first time. He's cool. Then Theo Vaughn comes in because he's recording his special at the Ryman down the street. And then my buddy Ari Manis comes in, the old an old uh, guest on this show. And he gets there, and we had no idea. We're playing around with each other. And there's a host named Casey. She is fantastic. She's a Nepalese from Nepal chick, comic in Nashville. Uh, very funny, really good hang. Really enjoyed uh, meeting them. Honestly, I really enjoyed the whole weekend. But let's get back to the story. Get there Thursday. Casey goes up, full house. It's good. Okay, also, like, getting into, when, when you get into these, like, AA rooms, legendary comedy clubs, you can't, they don't just get you in. Like San Francisco Punchline, you have to go do all this bullshit by showing up every Sunday, doing all this nonsense. Here's kind of the same thing. But I was able to get in from L.A. And let me tell you guys something about the South. Not big fans of L.A. At all. So, Casey goes up. She does good. Ari goes up. Lightweight eats a dick. Theo goes up. Lightweight doesn't do very well. But in my head, with my ego, I'm like, well, these motherfuckers ain't Steve Fury. These ain't the motherfuckers who can do this. I go up there. Lights are bright. Never saw the showroom before. That was another mistake. So when I open up the door, the green room's right off outside of the um, showroom. So I thought I would open the door. There's going to be a little curtain there. I'll come up from behind the stage. No, 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 no. You open the door, and you're almost on stage. So I open the door a little early, as before she's even calling my name, and I'm in front of 300 people, and I'm like, oh, the lights are kind of blinding. And then she goes, Steve, all the way from L.A., Steve, Gary. I get up there. I go, thank you, thank you. I love this city. I love you, Knoxville. I don't know if I've ever felt this before, but a room pulled back so sharply and show so angrily that I called Nashville, Knoxville. I then proceeded to bomb started stumbling over my words then i freaking start flop sweating if you don't know what flop sweating is it's kind of like in the in the cartoons or, or movies or shows like that when someone gets nervous and they just start pouring sweat so i'm pouring sweat out of my head my hair is wet i'm trying to do my jokes i proceed to bomb for the next five minutes by the end i get them though Papa gets him, you know. Papa can't be held down forever. Papa very good. So I get him by the end. I'm like, okay, I get off stage. But I'm also a guy, you know, some comedians always talk about, hey, I killed. I did it. I fucking crushed last night. Oh, I did this. I mean, I feel I do well most of the time. So me saying I did well last night, it's not like a, I mean, sometimes I do better than that well. Like sometimes I'll do very good and sometimes I'll do okay, but still well. 
So those don't really being being good doesn't shock you. You know, if you if you shoot if you play basketball and you're used to making free throws, the twenty percent that you don't make are the ones that get you. So I get off stage and I am shell shocked. Okay, because also like a lot of these comedians, other southern comedians and comedians in like BC cities, they want you to be bad, especially if you're from LA. They want to be like, oh, we're better than LA, this Nashville. So then I go up there, I can see all the glaring from the local comics. And that just spun me out. So I get off stage. I'm like, Jesus Christ, I fucking bombed. Oh, my God. Everyone's like, ah, we didn't even listen to you. It doesn't matter. It's like, okay, okay. So a lot of times at comedy clubs when the show ends, especially on like a day where there's only one, if it's a cool club, you'll normally go hang out with the staff, some other local comics. So then they go, hey, we're going to go to Santa's Pub. Now, Santa's Pub is a karaoke bar in Nashville. It is in a double-wide trailer. It is always Christmas-themed, and there is a large fat man there dressed like Santa who looks like Santa. And people sing karaoke. And people in Nashville don't give a fuck about COVID, really. I mean, they walk around with masks, which is the weird part, but then when they go inside, they take it off. It's like this weird backwards thing. So we get to this place where people are singing karaoke. You can smoke inside. I was smoking cigarettes just to do it. It was like, what in the fuck am I walking into? Had a great time. But then the staff, and no one's, like, talking to me, really. I felt like the kid, you know, like when you're a kid and the kid pees his pants, and then he goes to recess, and he's wearing the sweats, like those just those sweats. He's like a normal kid's outfit, but he's just wearing, <laughs> like, the pee sweats that they give everybody. It felt like I was wearing the pee sweats at this bar hang. So, like, people are talking about comedy, and there's fucking locals like chirping in about comedy no one's asking me you know i've done some things in my life no one's i'm a pariah everyone hates me now they're all being nice but it's definitely felt like and normally when i go to a comedy club i feel like i get in with the staff a lot probably because i seem i'm you know i'm not seem i'm just like them just a normal ass dude and i like to drink and then I, i tend to be pretty funny so then they like me these guys did not so then the next day i wake up and I got a text from Lucy. Okay, so I'm open up for two people this week. So a lot of times when you do a comedy club, you'll weekend, you'll do five shows or six shows. One on Thursday, two Saturday, two Sunday, or two Friday, two Saturday, one Sunday. The way these guys did it is they did two different headliners. So they get a guy who did the early show and then the guy who did the bottom show. And you're like, how do you pay that much money? In their mind, if they use two guys who sell out both shows, who sell out all their shows, they make more money than if... One guy half sells all five of his shows. So the early guy I'm working for is Orny Adams. If you don't know who Orny Adams is, um, he's a little bit ornery. Um, he's never really known as a good hang, but um, fucking crusher. L.A. legend crusher. I think he's from Boston, went to New York, but he's been in L.A. a really long time. Crusher, big at the improvs. If you ever if you go to improvs a lot, you've probably seen Orny Adams. I think he's like the coach on uh, Teen Wolf on MTV. I don't watch it. But some people have these things. They're called writers. You've heard about them, and uh, famous people have them. You know, sometimes they'll be like only green M and M stuff like that. Well, an Orny's writer, it said the opener had to be clean, no songs, no crowd work, no dirty jokes, no political jokes, no sex jokes, no drug jokes, no this, no that. So he's like, it's almost when like someone went through my act. And was just like, not this guy, not this thing you say, not this thing you say that's funny, not this thing you say that's funny. So, next day, I knew I had to do the early shows clean, though. But I, I, I got clean 20 minutes. Like, it's still pretty good. I don't have to cuss. I don't have to do the sex jokes. I have older stuff. So, 
I wake up in the morning and Lucy had texted me, you know. Right now, uh, Faith and old Stevie boy is at about a zero. She goes, hey, can you even do clean? I'm like, is this bitch trying to get me off this fucking show? I didn't do that bad. I go, yeah, I can do clean. She goes, okay, just please don't get me yelled at. So we get to the show, first show with Orny Adams, decently sized crowd. I got to be clean. I go up there. Bobby Schmurder money dance all over these fools. Crush City. Everyone loves me again. Then s- Saturday night late show, uh, Shane Gillis. Shane Gillis, by the way, my one of my top five favorite comedians working right now. Um, as a guy with a huge ego, this guy's better than me. He's fantastic, and you should check him out as soon as you can go to his act in your city. You will laugh. It does not matter your political affiliations. He says things on both sides that both people can enjoy. And honestly, it was just a freaking treat to open for the guy. He's really cool. Then I go on his show, Bobby Schmurda dance all over that crowd. And then it all starts to happen for me. Everyone likes me. I'm in all the conversations, blah, blah, blah. Shit's good. That night we stay at the comedy club and the owner of the club comes and he's we're just partying, man, for a long ass time, drinking, having a great time, bullshitting. Everyone's treating me good. Feels a lot better than, you know, the other day. If, if I would have bombed again, it would have been me and the mop boy in the bathroom. And I'll be like, hey, should I refill the toilet papers if I probably won't be a comedian any longer? Um, and then the next day, repeat, rinse and repeat. I do Crush City. Then we go to this other bar and I meet up with a bunch of my friends. And it was a fun time. It's Nashville. Um, this place is, is like a city built on celebrating cacacity. And I don't even necessarily mean that in a bad way because I talked to a few friends of mine and, you know, I think there should be a place white people just get to be happy to be white. Because, you know, I don't know. I don't know where you live, but where I live, um, one, it's just Nashville is like one of the least diverse places I've ever been in my life. Honestly, shocking. Honestly, shocking. Like no Mexicans or Latinx people, few black people. I'm talking these shows that were sold out, 300 seats. There's three, four black people, no Asians. Maybe saw two, three Asians the whole time I was there. And being from California my whole life, even from Sacramento, which is statistically one of the most diverse cities in the world. You can look that up. Um, It was just shocking. Shocking to see this many white people. But everyone's happy, you know. It's like a society. It's like a city that's built on Jesus being polite and not cursing. They really didn't like cursing. I still got him. I still crushed. But a lot of people were like, "You should try and be clean." I was like, "I don't like to be." Here's my thing about clean comedy. Okay, clean comedy is like bragging that you made a painting and you didn't use any black paint. It's like cool. That's impressive, I guess, but I like black paint, and I like painters that paint with black paint, and I like the contradiction between things like that, and I like the emphasis that, you know, colors can make against black paint. So they're just doing that, and uh, just a clean city, man. There's no homeless people anywhere. The over underpasses aren't filled with homeless people. People are super nice, but it is kind of like the, uh, you know, the over-Christian, none of this is bad, but like, People are being nice, but it's kind of like this forced church nice, you know. Also, everyone looks the same there. You know, guys, flannel, tucked in shirt, kind of like sports, kind of like a pardon, not pardon my take, but a barstool kind of kind of vibes. And then the women are all in like cowboy boots, very short, butt cheeks hanging out, uh, jean shorts, kind of a small top. My review on the city, if you are white, you should uh, probably try to go there at least once in your life. 
just for the eye-opening experience. Um, if you are a different race, I would pass. Um, I don't know how they treat people there, but demographically, I might feel weird if I was someone else to be in the South surrounded by that many more white people. But I've never been in the South. Maybe that's how it is. So, But would I go back? Oh, I'll go back. They said I'll, they'll bring me back, so... Hopefully, I'll build some sort of presence down there. Like They do want me to be cleaner, but it's like, dude, I'm not clean. I don't think clean. I don't drink clean. I don't smoke clean. I don't live clean. And the people who pretend to be clean when they're not are the ones who get in trouble. But the people that tell you who they are and they are genuine to themselves, no one gets mad at them when they get in trouble once or twice because they're like, this is that guy. This is Joey Diaz. Not that I want to be Joey Diaz, but... You understand what I'm saying? Our guest this week, my man Kyrie Shabazz. What can I say about Kyrie? Um, We started together pretty much in Sacramento. He's from Cleveland, but he started comedy in Sacramento. And as I've said before, Sacramento's done a thing where they have won the last four stand-up for diversity NBCs. This is where a bunch of comedy clubs like Nashville, like uh, uh, Comedy Works in Denver, like Seattle ones, a bunch of other comedy clubs have a... comedy contest for everyone kind of in their state to go there that's diverse i could never do it i'm not sure anyway and then the winners from there go to another one the winners from there go to hollywood improv and then they compete so sacramento has had jared guzman win one we have a guy named mickey mike e winfield he won one from sacramento and we had Kyrie shabazz he won one Kyrie then went on to do the tonight show great one check that out then he went on to do comedy central presents uh online one Great one. Check that out. And he's kind of been a guy that I feel like there's a lot of mutual respect for the things that we've done. You know, he, he likes how I've come to L.A. and been able to establish myself, I feel, as a sort of a, a comedian to know here. Um, not necessarily like famous people, but like if you're coming up, you probably know who I am or we've talked and then becoming a paid regular. And then I've been impressed with what he's been able to do with everything he's been able to do. So we we. We, I mean, we'd like, we were doing open mics at this place called Nutty Mondays, which is like this black club where the guy would just, not a black club, it's a country bar that this guy would pack the fuck out on a Monday. And um, we would go, and it was an open mic, so the guy never had to pay anybody, and we would bomb our dicks off. And this crowd hated me, and at that time, I was not hearing the laughter. So I would just go, go up. I was like, hey, that wasn't that bad, even though I was bombing. And he's like, this is like a hood ass in the heights of, like, it's called the uh, Delta Heights. Del Paso Heights in Sacramento, which is known as a pretty rough area. So this is not like, this is like hood rat shit. And we would go bomb there, and we'd drive around, and we'd wait out this front. And, you know, a lot of times when you start from a, when I say C to D city, I don't mean uh, quality of life or the human beings there or anything like that. I probably size of the city is what I'm talking about in media market. Okay, Of Sacramento, you know, you don't expect for the people that you're hanging out with to ever do anything. And it's just been cool to see him do the shit. I mean, he's a big college act, makes a shit ton of money on that. He's just a really cool guy and honestly one of my favorite comics. Um, so we had him on. Uh, it's a good podcast. Uh, definitely not the funniest one we've done. But, I mean, if the information's good, I mean, this is definitely one that's a great history kind of podcast on the Albanian mob and Nasser Kelmendi. So, you know what, guys? Enjoy the show. Oh, shout out to my guy, Gray Livingston. I don't know if I did that shit yet. Um, some things that you should check out. Betray the Badge on Vice. 
Vice Docs has been crazy lately. Vice Docs has been fantastic. Um, on I think Hulu is what I watch it on. So Betray the Badge, they do a bunch of bad cops, all the stuff they did. That's pretty great. Um, they also have a uh, this one doc about the 90s, like Dark Side of the 90s. That one's been really cool, The Viper Room. And me watching The Viper Room, everyone's like dying of drug overdoses and shit like that. And I'm like, damn, I wish I got to check that place out. I'd love to go in. They had, dude, the leader of the uh, Adam Durwitz. I think that's the guy's name, the singer of the Counting Crows. He was their bartender. He's just there pouring drinks and shit. I was like, damn, that shit looked fun as fuck. Um, also, honestly, it kind of pains me to see this. I recently saw that Vice has like a gang crime show. Kind of does a lot about what, what I'm doing here. So, fuck you, Vice. <laughs> I mean, my shit's a little different. I got a little comedy involved, and um, we do some people they don't do. They kind of still stay to the top of the guys. We got a bunch of great episodes coming out. What do we got? I'm going to do one on uh, one called Evil Corp. That's the Russian guys who've been uh, kind of hacking everyone and doing ransom hacks. I got one on going out, a whole thing about Polish, from the Polish crime syndicate um, back in like the early 60s. Another episode's going to be on the Polish mafia. Another episode's going to be on this Polish government. We've got a lot. Of, and that guy's, that one's done by a Polish guy. So we're getting, we're going in articles that someone would have to speak Polish to even find. So those are going to be pretty good. Um, what else we got? I got another Filipino guy. Uh, what is his name? Padok or something like that? This one's pretty good. He was a cop in the Philippines, and he would just murder people. And he was kind of one of the most badass badasses around there. And we still got the Serbian mod. Still going to probably wait. I might try and wait for that one when when I get on Burt Kreischer's tour bus and then just be like, hey, you, you, you and... Uh, Andrew, want to do a little joint pod thing right now? And just kind of have it work like that. Oh, and then we've got that Hawaiian Gardens one. Oh, man. Everyone is telling me, don't do it, Steve. This gang is too close and too scary. <sighs> I mean, it's true. They are fucking terrifying. But I'm going to do it because I have nothing else. I have to have something work for me. Maybe it's going to be being a crazy-ass gang podcast, which, you know, I'm not even against. The shit's pretty fun, pretty great to do. I love how it's growing. Um, the listenership is growing. Didn't seem like guys like the BNG that much or the PC, but, like, the listenership's still going up. But love you guys. Thanks very much. Keep an eye out. Keep your heads clean. Keep your nose clean. Bye. Kyrie, how you doing, buddy? Thanks for coming in. Doing good, man. Thanks for having me. Just did a little Netflix thing going on before he came here? Yeah, man, over at the uh, Dynasty Typewriter. You're like a resident there with JFL, Netflix. I, I feel it, man. Yeah, I'm officially Eastside Comics. Yeah. They're going to put your... Shows at the Dynasty Typewriter. Yeah, you're like, they're going to put your name over their popcorn machine. Exactly. Hang my uh, jersey up. <laughs> Hang my beanie in the wrapper. Yeah, your yeah. beanie. <laughs> you're, you're, you're fucking... Uh, Fanny pack they're going to put up there. Oh, man. Embroider in gold. So today we're talking about the Albanian mob. Oh, man. You know, everyone's favorite mob. You know, if you're going to rank the mobs. You got to go Albanian. <laughs> you got to go Albanian. Scorsese's biggest regret yep. is that he never had enough Albanian Yep. Mob. Should have been. Okay. okay. We'll, we'll do our. We'll rank our mobs. Mine. First one. Goody mob. Yep. Second. <laughs> goody mob. What's another MOB? Mob Deep, MOB, Albanian Mob. Albanian Mob, definitely. Then the Italian Mob. So, uh, this is actually an interesting thing. So, until about uh, the, the downfall of communism, the Albanian Mob is pretty much um, just grunts for the Sicilian Mob, the Italian Mob. They're not doing shit. They're small time. They're hitmen. 
But once they start venturing out, they get a little bit more popping. And in this podcast, we're going to talk about um, the Albanian mob and Nasser Kelmendi. And uh, that's what we're going to do. And this is one where these guys are all far away and most of them are in jail for a very long time. So no one, no one needs to be worried about anything. Some people no get. There's no retaliation. I've been do. I I got this one gang coming up, oh, man. called the Hawaiian Gardens in L.A., yeah. and it's one of the like most badass, like yeah. scary gangs. And I don't really talk shit or anything, but I'm gonna do it with an LAPD officer. Oh, okay, for like the added protection or. No, no, no. Just like to get his side of the story. Because, like, you'll see right this, what essentially I'm doing is I'm giving a history of the Albanian mob. So not really trash. No, no not, no. I'm not trying to trash none of these people. Honestly, I think it's pretty cool. I, I, I like being, I've always been a fan of criminals. Right. So I always know the bad guy. I like the, who are the bad guys in uh, G.I. Joe? Snake? Yeah. Cobra. Dude, Cobra. This dude's so legit. Go back to the name. Uh, Nasir Kelmendi. That sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. He either's like killing you or he's running like a baklava shop in Glendale. Yeah, there's only two options in life. <laughs> all right. This all starts with one of the coolest things I've ever heard of. Check this one out. September 30th, 1985 to March 2nd, 1987. The FBI discovers the pizza connection. It subsequently begins a trial that lasted 17 months. The trial was important in that it finally made the government and public aware that the fact that many pizzerias in New York City were operating as fronts for money laundering operation, as well as drug storage and distribution centers. Hundreds of witnesses and thousands of documents were gathered during the case, resulting in over 30 arrests in the United States and Italy. This led to a large-scale crackdown on organized crimes operations in America, specifically targeting the Italian mob felonies that have been powerhouses before the trial. How have we never heard of that? Right, right. This predates Pizzagate. <laughs> yeah. And this this leads me to know, like, that whole New York has the best slice was bullshit propaganda. Yeah. Because New York has built its whole identity on we got the best pizza. Mm-hmm. That was bullshit. No, they're just smoking a little Coke on there, and then you're like, God damn, exactly. I need some more. Yeah. You just kept coming back. You're like, this kind of tastes like uh, nail polish, but can I get six more slices? Because pizza shops are the identity of, like, and this is, what, the 80s? Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I'm such a, I mean, I don't, I feel like I should have been taught more about this, but that doesn't surprise me, you know? I don't think much has changed. I've been to a few pizza places and been like, yeah. you guys open your, you, this restaurant with this shitty-ass pizza? Here's right. one. With Here's, three customers. Yeah, right. with three customers. This you thought this You thought you should invest your whole family's fortune into making this dog shit pizza but meanwhile they moving keys like yeah, exactly. yeah that makes sense because i've seen shops like that so like you have no customer base but you're still around yeah forever and On it's always sunset boulevard yeah and sometimes you're like i think you're deliberately being bad so that i don't come in here yeah are there any businesses you've been into your life that you knew or thought was a front Recently, man, I'm, and I'm not even trying to go for like a hack, like bit about it. Like, legitimately, I wanted a massage. It mm-hmm. was in uh back in Sacramento, mm-hmm. and I went in and I just made it weird because I wanted them to know up front, like no hand job stuff. Yeah, I, I just I want a massage, and by me coming and saying that it was like the weird. First of all, how the fuck? I didn't say it directly, but she knew what I was implying, which is kind of like already offensive. Mm-hmm. And weird. It's like you don't set the tone like that. Yeah, yeah. So I think if they were doing it or not, it was kind of like 
don't be a presumptuous asshole. Just come in here like, hey, you know, keep your hands off me. You know? I mean, it's like going up to a girl and be like, listen, I'm not a fan of blowjobs, <laughs> but do you want to go on a date with me? Because I don't want, I don't want that awkward moment in a. I don't know, it was just weird, but it, no, I get it, it. Definitely, it definitely was one of those places. As I got in there, the way it was set up, I was like, hey, can I just get a regular? Yeah. I feel like if a massage parlor is taping up their posters, you yeah. know that something's a little weird. Yeah, it definitely had, like, I don't know, like, the lady looked like she had just got out of a cage. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know. It just had that creep. I was like, fuck, I just want a regular. And there's no massage envies open up where you could just... You know, there's yeah. like a white person. Yeah, yeah, like an ugly girl. This and is then, racism. This is not SNL approved. Yeah, we're going to get banned of, of SNL. Um, okay, so who, okay. I've had three in my life, and these are all true stories. Oh, shit, okay. Okay, so there was one at the end of my street in Sacramento called, called Wiener Snitcher. We all know what the fuck Wiener Snitcher no, is. They were selling weed out of there, and oh, they got man. caught. Yeah. And Coke. The other one was a place called Famous Pizza. Uh, if you went to my high school in Sacramento, it was like this pizza place. They had $10 slices. They were selling weed. Oh. And then the craziest one was back in high school when I was buying drugs, I learned on this store that you could go into and get ecstasy. So when I got there, it was like in a rough part of Sacramento. And there's like a group. I don't want to say it was a gang, but they were, you know, five young African-American males that looked pretty intimidating. And one guy was smoking a sage, a bundle of sage. Yeah. He had it in his mouth. And then I went inside, and inside looked like a North Korean supermarket. Like there's <laughs> like there's like products, but there's only one and it's pushed all the way to the front of the shelf. Right. You know, so like if you took a picture of it, it looks like there's stuff. Then I went in there, everything was dusty. And then when I went in there, the guy I was like, Hey, I told I was told I could get I could get ecstasy, and then the three, the five guys out front went in and followed me, and I was like, "Fuck, this is about to fuck me up." And then I got got the ecstasy, tried to come back again, did not work out. They did not enjoy me or remember me whatsoever. Did you have like narc vibes? Or what was yeah, that? I for sure did, because I didn't really. This was a time, you know, where polos were a big thing. Yeah, I'm wearing polos and Sperry's, and I got my, you know, high school girlfriend wearing probably the same thing, and then I pull up into Salsac and Martin Luther King and Fruit Ridge. Yeah, so no one got hurt, but I definitely, uh, it was pretty intimidating. Here's an Eric question for you, Kyrie. What do you think would be a good front for a criminal organization in L.A.? Something that's everywhere, but people don't go. Personally, I think 60% of the businesses in L.A. are fronts because there's always so many signs for things, yeah. but then no build, no, nothing there. Yeah. I think a lot of these uh, corner stores. Yeah. Because where I lived at, I mean, there's like a corner store on every mm-hmm. block. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, but it's like right next to each other. Mm-hmm. It's like you don't need six of these. Yeah, and there's like only the they like blocking out the windows, and it looks like you don't want me to come in. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, what would be? I don't know, man. I I don't know what would be a good cover up. This is how non-criminal I am. I think I think I would go Korean barbecue place. Korean barbecue yeah. place. Yeah. Have white people run it. So one, no Koreans come in. Right. Two, put the sign in Korean. No white people come in. Damn, done right oh, there. Oh shit! Yeah. You don't want no one to come in. Yeah, you can't sell shit because you just want people to stay the fuck away. 
I think antique, no, antique shops, they go business. Yeah. You could do maybe like a tax shop called like Simple John's Taxes. So if you're like, I don't want to fucking go to Simple John for my taxes. And then you can still just work. All right. 1987, Serbian strongman Solbodin Milosevic uses a vicious anti-Albanian campaign to repress the ethnic Albanian population in Kosovo. The intention was to gain support from the Serbian population and attempt to rise to the top of Serbia's political scene. Sounds a little bit familiar there. Um, what's more Serbian than a strongman running for president? Oh, man. You know, maybe like a guy eating a raw potato in like a gray peacoat. <laughs> this look I, what's more Serbian than a strong man running um I don't know man a, a fucking a triple X movie I don't know like I don't have a <laughs> that'd be pretty funny if a triple X movie became the prime minister of Serbia I wouldn't doubt it I like that I like, you know this is like a Serbian Arnold Schwarzenegger do you know what an Arnold Schwarzenegger's name would be in Serbian what? Arnold Schwarzenegger probably if I had oh, to guess <laughs> I don't know just some Australia. fucking yeah. Eastern European guy Look, I'm bombing on the podcast. Uh, uh, you can't bomb. It's all about people. What's funny about this podcast is the reason I do the beginning part about like kind of like a podcast I do of my life because some people are here only for information about gangs and drug dealers that they've yeah. never heard of, and then some people like me. So we can't bomb because really 90% of people only want to hear about this stuff. June 28th, 1989. Serbian Vojislav Selicji is appointed by then Archduke Momosilo Dujic, M-O-M-C-I-L-O-D-U-J-I-C, to be the second in command. With his promotion, he's ordered to expel all the Krauts, Albanians, and other foreign elements from the Holy Serb ground. Number one, if he would have ended with expelling all the Krauts and Albanians, I'm fine with that. That's pretty good. I think we can do that. But the foreign elements. And number two, uh, what Holy Land is in Serbia? (laughs) Uh, could you imagine? If G- I don't know what religion they have. Like, right? What is the Serbian? I think it's Christian. Oh shit! We're probably like real Christian. Yeah, know. like scary Christian. You know, no fun Christian. Like the, the original Christmas. Yeah. Have you read about some of that shit where they used to have like the Yule time logs? Was really like human sacrifices and shit. And- yeah, I could see these guys human sacrifice. I mean, they they have to burn something. I guess okay. This say help me, man, too, because you know I'm ignorant. I don't. I don't read books. Oh, I don't where know. is Serbia? I okay. So this is when when people go, you know, Krauts, Albanians, Serbians. That's like near Russia. I'm right? just they're all Russian to me. Got you. Okay, that's what I figured. That's all that Russian part. Yeah, they're all Russian, and sure, they're not all Russian, but it's like saying like Scottish people, English people, and and Irish. It's like. Yeah, same same shit. Yeah, it's the same kind of white people shit. The rainy, muddy yeah. whites. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like the Mediterranean, yeah. like Greece. Italian. Yeah, exactly. Italian. These are like the cold, sad whites. Iron. Yeah. Wall. Mean. Yeah. I hate. Uh, Russians have just screwed me over in Sacramento so many times. Oh, okay. Oh, I had a Jesus Christ was Russian, but that's kind of. <laughs> If Jesus Christ was Russian, what would he be? I just, I, <laughs> Asshole. <laughs> no, nobody. Don't help your friends. Help yourself. I just already did the buff Jesus eating a raw potato thing for the other joke. So that's all I got. 1999, Slobodan Milosevic succeeds in removing ethnic Albanians from Kosovo parliament and replacing them with men loyal to him. Shortly after this, he increases the police presence in Kosovo as well as firing or dismissing thousands of ethnic Albanian workers. 
So the strong man, the Slobodian guy, won. Okay. The bodybuilder won. I just think bodybuilder is a weird job for a president to have. Well, that should disqualify. You yeah. Immediately. Yeah. Like I think, what well, what are some jobs that if you had it, you can't be a president? Bodybuilding's one. Bodybuilding's one. Anything in fitness, a gym teacher, anything. Gym um, teacher would be pretty bad. Like taxi driver. Like he's like, I can take oh, this yeah, country from A no. to B. Yeah, no, taxi drivers are out. Uh, baristas. Baristas Still not good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're like, we want all these people freed. Do you want a venti size or a? Yeah, you too worried about pleasing people. Mm-hmm. I think presidents should like the typical shit, like lawyers. And yeah, bad people bankers. stuff. Yeah. yeah. Like, you All can't. the evil shit. But yeah, bodybuilder, no. Because a bodybuilder is trying to dominate people. Mm -hmm. Like 50 Cent doesn't want muscles to protect himself. He wants them to. 50 Cent? Yeah. I think 50 Cent would be a decent president. I don't know, man. I don't know. He got shot nine times. <laughs> I don't know if that helps. <laughs> yeah, but you yeah, have to no. say that once you say 50 Cent. What rapper would be a good president? No, you know, out of rappers, he might be because he's funny. He's funny. He's that's kinda... something that sucked about Trump being so funny. Yeah, he was like, funny. we need a hilarious. So 50 would be somebody that would be good for that. Push a um, T. I think he would be a good president. Push. No. 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 Too much cocaine. I'm not wearing his braids, but I don't <laughs> support Push a T. Oh, I um, love Push a T. For president, because he got too much of that serious New York. I think it have to be somebody like Ice Cube. Ice Cube would be a good president, kind of goofy. Birdman. Birdman. Like, what's up? Yeah, he's trying to fuck. Birdman is shady. We already know he like he's a pedophile. Yeah, pedophile. Like, shady. He fits right into yeah. You know what some of our past presidents have been. Right, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Not paying people money. You're they don't pay like people. Bird, they kind of yeah. want to fuck little kids, and they're very rich. Exactly, yeah. Bird Birdman, we did it. Birdman, he's running for 2024. 1990 to 1991, the Albania, Albania relaxes border controls, which allows many ethnic Albanians in Kosovo to travel to their home country. Unfortunately, it all also allowed many of the budding criminal organizations in Kosovo to travel to Albania as well. These criminal elements would go on to obtain travel visas under the guise of political refugees and subsequently disperse amongst the capitals of Western Europe. February 22nd, 1991. Fatos Nano is elected as the first prime minister of the newly democratic Republic of Albania. He went on to serve for three months. Oh, shit, that was short. Have you, what's what's the shortest job you've ever had? Oh, man. Shortest job I ever fucking had. Um, I don't know, man. I don't know the fucking shortest. I don't know. No. Probably like a fast food something. I think Burger King. I was there for like a month. Yeah. Just didn't work out. I went to, I worked, I had like a lot of people pulled a, a lot of strings for me to get a government job right out of high school. Oh, shit. Yeah. And uh, a state job. A state job, yeah. Which is sack as the shit. Yeah. It's like, I mean, it's like everyone there who has a state job wants to kill themselves, but yeah. it's not bad. And if I would have yeah. got in from then, you know, I could have gone, not that. I mean, I could have sleezed my way probably pretty high. But, um, I just wasn't in the right mindset, so I started treating people like they're my friends. So I, <laughs> uh, I was cool with my boss, and then she hit me up, and she was like, I'm talking to her, and I go, hey, you know you can watch movies on this computer, right? 
And so I pretty much taught the woman, my boss, how to not work and make people think you're working. And then she fired me because I pretty much just admitted that I wasn't working. Yeah, you know, I thought people were my friends. I was 19. I'm a fucking idiot. No one's ever your friend at work. Right. She's like, yeah, show me. Yeah, show me. Okay. (laughs) She's like, show me all the things. It was literally, she was like, show me all the things that you do that are fireable. I was like, for sure. (laughs) Do here. I like to hang out here. You can close this. You can look at porno if you want. Like, great. Fantastic. It does work when you're like 19 and you don't know the world. Yeah. It's like now I'm jaded and I was like, nah, bitch, I gotta see some dirt yeah. first. Yeah, I'm like I don't even use the internet. I'm all paper. There ain't yeah, no, I need some you ain't leverage. catching me, bitch. Damn, they saved you though, man. Your life would have been fucking ruined. Yeah, man. I mean, really, the state job ruined you. People they are pay you so much. The benefits are too good. The benefits are too good. They don't pay you that much. You just, I mean, lower income, middle guy, uh, middle life. I mean, it would have been. I mean, I mean, I would have killed myself probably. <laughs> you- <laughs> I, exactly. I would have got fired at some point for me just coming in. I started dressing like in streetwear too, so I was wearing like these super loud LRG shirts, and I just was just so dumb. I feel bad for the people that got me that job. Man, March 1991, tens of thousands of Albanians storm the port of Durez, D-U-R-R-E-S, and hijack anything that will float. In the following week, over 20,000 Albanian refugees arrived at Italian Italian ports. Rome attempted to get fucking rid of all the refugees, but an estimated number of forty to one hundred and twenty thousand remain in Italy. Oh man! So that's kind of how the Albanians start becoming foot soldiers for the Italian mob. Oh, okay, kind of as the refugees. Yeah. So essentially, right now we're telling like the how the Albanian mob comes into power, and then when Nasser gets in power, we'll go into him. Got you, got you, got you. But I do feel... Keep going. Can I, can I do a ghetto recap? Yeah. in my head. So you got the strong man who comes into power. Yep. They want to do an ethnic cleansing. Yep. They get everybody up out of there. Yep. These people flee and go to Italy. Yep. Italy's like, fuck y'all, y'all can't be here. But some of y'all stay. Yep. And those are going to, like you said, be the new... Exactly, you got it. All right, cool. Great job. So, but I got to say, though, a bunch of Albanians boating into Italy... Immigrating on a boat has got to be the most dignified way to illegal immigrant. Yeah, because they said earlier, what, they said anything that can float, right? Yeah, they they were, I think Duras is like in Albania or one of those type of places. They steal all the boats there, then they float to Italy. And I feel like if you're floating on a boat, you're not really an illegal immigrant. You're now an explorer. You are, A yeah. conqueror, you know. That's why I wonder how they pick and choose who stayed, like, because this says anything that will float. So I wonder if you showed up in like uh you know, on the door frame. You know what I mean? Like they're like, no, you can't. No, no, no. You should have stolen something better than this. Right, yeah. They judge you like yeah. you in the inner tube. You yeah. say that was great. You stole a yacht. At least you shoot high, buddy. Get over here. Here's yeah. something. Have you ever snuck into somewhere? Oh man, fuck. Hell yeah, dude. Hell yeah. The movies was a big thing for me. I was the king of sneaking in when we was kids. Mm-hmm. I created a whole, and probably everybody's done this, but like, I, in my group, I was the one who, ingenious, uh, you buy one ticket, mm-hmm. and you show the dude at the door, mm-hmm. then you go to the bathroom, and we all wait in the bathroom, and we use that one ticket to sneak into the bathroom. Oh, okay. The movie. Because once the guy sees your so, ticket, he knows you're good. Yeah. Then you come in, in the bathroom, you give me your ticket. 
and then I go in. And but go this is for like a that's for like one of fancy new movies that kind of thing. What do you mean? Because when when we used to do it, we would go one guy buys a ticket, and then he goes to the exit. And then he pops that open. All your friends run in. And then, because a lot of movie theaters I go to, yes, there's not a guy yeah. at the door. Like, the, there's not a ticket guy at each movie theater. There's just one guy at the front. And then you can yeah. kind of go wherever you want. No, yeah, the way this one was set up, you couldn't do it like that. But mm-hmm. I know the ones you talked about. But, yeah, like, sneaking in the movies is my shit, man. I'm like a cinephile, so. I, I just. just Snuck in as many movies as I could. You ever do the like you buy one ticket and you just keep going to different movies? Fuck yeah, that's like people who won't do that. I question them. Yeah, like, I just said not doing crime, but that's like the basic. That's like the free space of American crime. Yeah, I've to me that is like um, buying that's a ticket. A flaw. No, no, no. I don't think so whatsoever. I think it's like buying a ticket to a buffet and you're just like, I'm just gonna stay here all day. It's like there's no real rule against it. I don't yeah. think. But it's like, well, I guess, man. That's no, what you're I'm doing. not doing it to me as a character flaw. Oh, yeah, I would agree there, People too. People are morally sickened by it. <laughs> you didn't pay for it. Like, fuck you. Free. I mean, yeah, imagine like being buying a ticket, and you're like, I think I want to see another movie, and then you go outside and buy another ticket. You fucking that's simp. That's weird as fuck. Simp-ass yeah, bitch. I used to sneak in my uh, all my dances and proms. Oh, for real? These yeah. These ones you weren't a part of? I was always a part of them. I got prom king and prom print, or... Prom King and wait, wait, wait. you said wait, let me hear I didn't hear that right. You snuck into your Proms. Never bought a ticket to any dance. Oh I'd always sneak got in. Because they make you pay for the prom. Yeah, it was like fifty bucks at my school. Oh no, fuck that. You gotta sneak into that. And then I won too and be like, How do you fucking get in here and didn't have a ticket? Yeah, bitch. Fucking president. Or it was like the one dude King. at the door with the ledgers. Yeah. Student government. Son of a bitch. Yeah, I'm just screw I'm just screwing out like a organization has no money or no idea and they could really use the twenty dollars. Whatever. The skateboard club could use that. <laughs> May 29th, nineteen ninety one. In Skanderberg Square, Tirana, fifty thousand demonstrators attacked police with rocks, bottles, and fireworms, as well as toppling a giant statue of Enver Hoxha. H O X H A was a Stalinist dictator that resigned in nineteen eighty five. June eleventh, nineteen ninety one. Yuli Bufi, Y L-L-I-B-U-F-I is elected as a new prime minister of Albania, succeeding Fatos Nino in his three-month run at managing a democracy. So embarrassed. Would you? Okay, here we go. Yeah. Real quick, how much do you do research the names before you do these? Not often. So you just be winging them? I'm winging them, yeah. Okay, cool. Because I do so much research with this already and have people help me that it's like, you know, I can't. No, I just can't. I just can't do more. Oh, okay. You know, I, I'm just doing that. That was random. I'm just like, oh, No, okay. I get it. Because I do be. I mean, I, some of these I'm good at. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I can't get it right every time, man. I got I would have never guessed this nigga's name. What was his name? Yuli Boofy? That wouldn't. I would never think Yuli Boofy. What would you think of it? Like, w- Wally? Yeah, like that. Yeah. Could just be Wally. Why? Yeah, I don't know. Man. But that's why I spill it out so they can know. Okay, gotcha. June 4th. So three days later, 1991. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, I actually got a question here. So this guy uh, beat the other guy who was only here for three months. If, would you rather be president for three months and then fired or not president at all? President for three months. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, that's probably still pretty cool. Yeah, because I could still, I could bullshit while I was three months, you know what I mean? That's true. I'm like, no, I got it. It wasn't my thing. 
I had to step away. I had some stomach problems. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, it, just it was mutual. More, yeah, it was mutual. I just too much. I'm more of an, a single artist. I don't really want people on top but of me. But to never have gotten it, you just make excuses to why you never won, you know. Or yeah, like it's political. Like yeah, it's yeah. politics. It's literally politics for the president. We know it's political. Three days later, June 14, 1991, newly elected Prime Minister Yuli Bufi declares that crime is the order of business in Albania as his administration struggles with an economic crisis of catastrophic proportions. I love that. You know what I mean? You need to change stuff, but why do you even need to change stuff when you can just be like, it's the order of business, you know? It's like, do I have an SCD? No, 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 I have herpes, but herpes is just the order of business right now. (laughs) Everyone has it. July 1991, the Sigurami, a secret police force that served communist Albania, was dissolved and replaced by the National Informative Service, placing some 30,000 men without jobs. See, that's what you don't want to do in poor countries that are fucking up. Because this is what leads to having an insanely smart mob. Because out of work and angry at the government, these ex-police officers begin to find work in organized crime syndicates. Since they had operated under the guidance and leadership of the Albanian government, they were well-versed in many methods of circumventing bureaucracy and its discontents. The majority of their work with the local mob involved training members in ways to go about their practices without government intervention. Yeah. You got a bunch of pissed off motherfuckers who know all your methods. The worst shit you could do. Yeah, it's like fucking telling your boss how much you're cheating on him. <laughs> like how much I was not working. I mean, that's going to be bad. And it gets bad. December 6, 1991, Yuli Bufi resigns. And four days later, President Ramiz Alia appoints Vilson Ahmeti, V-I-L-S-O-N-A-H-M-E-T-I, as the country's new prime minister. Ahmeti was pr- prime minister for three months and 26 days and w- before he was replaced by Alexander Mexi. I feel like Trump learned how to do politics by Yuli Bufi. Motherfuckers do not loss last long. Yeah. The Albanian government is on here on, on some fuckboy shit, you know? It's like, nah, baby, it's not me. I'm going to love you forever. And then just Ubers you to get out of here. 1992, Sally Bersha is elected the second president of the Republic of Albania. January 1997, Albanian citizens flood the streets in protest, demanding the government reimburse them for losses caused by rampant pyramid schemes. Oh, man. The government did not reimburse them, and the subsequent unrest led to a civil war in Albania that letter spread to Kosovo. 2,000 peaceful people lost their lives in the Albanian conflict. How dumb are Albanians that they all got locked into pyramid schemes? Everyone in Albania is just walking around on Herbalife and driving pink Mary Kay paddles. <laughs> Herbal life, paralegal <laughs> shit. Okay, so the reason we did all that is we're going to show why are people joining the mob and why people allowing themselves to be paid by the mob to not say shit because they all got on pyramid schemes and they're dumb. Why is the po- exactly. why is the mob getting into the government? Uh, because they keep redoing people and trying to get people in power. Right. Why is the mob strong and hard to get in, hard to get um, anything on? Because they have thirty thousand ex-police officers training them and working for them. So that's why that's a bunch of, seems like a bunch of weird information, but why it's not. And we're going to go into that right now. Hold on, makes sense, man, yeah, yeah. The rise of the Albanian mob is not so much a story about Albania as it is a story about the fall of communism in Europe, catalyzed with a few opportune instances of being in the right geographic place at the right time. 
beginning in 1945, this is going to talk everything we just talked about. Beginning in 1945, Albania was a socialist country run by a dictator named Enver Hoxha, H-O-X-H-A. And it was not until his death in 1985 that the country began to look to other forms of government. Democracy was the rising star at the time, so Albania attempted to integrate it into what had previously been a socialist state. That did not work. The citizens were unhappy with the way the government had taken a half-hearted attempt at turning Albania into a successful democracy and began to revolt. It was this time that the Albanian mob was born. An unfortunate chain of events led to the Albanian mob being able to break out on their own and establish themselves while no longer working for other gangs than they had before. There were four more main factors that contributed to the birth of the Albanian mob. Number one, the FBI. During the Pizzagate connect or Pizza Connections trials, they took down the established mobs in New York in the mid-80s. This opened a door for lesser criminals to get into organized crime. That's why there's a lot of Albanians in New York. You know, fucking, uh, what's the fat guy who's, uh, raps, sounds like the Wu-Tang Clan, Ghostface Killer, he's white. Come on, everyone knows who this guy is. Everyone's mad at me right now. He um, has the beard, right? Yeah, he has the beard, now he's buff. Whatever. To this point, Albanian crime was small scale and in America was only concentrated in New York's five boroughs, with Fordham, Bronx being the largest hotspot. The Albanians, who were in organized crime at the time, worked as grunts for the big boys, Italians, serving mainly as drug mules. Previously, the Albanians viewed the Italians as similar to their cultural beliefs of family and brotherhood. To that point, the Albanians saw Italian mob families simply as more established criminal organizations in the same field they would like to incorporate. After one arrest, an Albanian who was working for the Italians at the time said, The Italians, especially the old world Italians, are a lot like us. They have similar views about family, honor, respect. They pay well and reward loyalty. It wasn't difficult to find a lot of other Albanians who wanted to work for them. So that's how the Albanians start getting into the crime in New York. The second thing that led to the Albanian mob blowing up. Tumult in Yugoslavia. So I'm guessing that's tumultuous uh, shit happening in Yugoslavia. At the same time this was happening in America, Yugoslavia, specifically Serbia, was devolving into civil unrest. Serbia was asserting an oppressive political presence against the ethnic Albanians located in Kosovo, which was poorly received, to put it lightly, Kafka's cohesion through conflict. Kind of what one of our ex-presidents was doing, or a lot of ex-presidents. Severe uh, repression and arrests occurred, beginning the unrest in the Balkan states, and by the late 90s, it was so bad that they called NATO for help. Kosovo, a state once incorporated with Yugoslavia, citizens had two political parties to rally behind, moderate Democrats and the far right. Think Joe Biden and Donald Trump. The National Liberation Movement of Kosovo, Kosovo, LKCK, they're probably it's cool letters to use them with. Beginning, and it was this organization that may have been the genesis of Albanian organized crime. They operated in clandestine illegal smuggling to fund campaigns. So, that's interesting. Then Albania relaxes borders and began to shift to democracy. Kosovars traveled there and were eventually able to obtain travel visas as refugees and moved to capitals all over Europe. There they acquired capital cash from the E-M-I-G-R-E's, so I think that's the government, to purchase previously socialist-owned businesses that then acted and currently front for money laundering and storage. Money began to pour into the ethnic Albanian families. So that's how the Albanians start creeping out into Europe. They were finally opened their borders. They were getting money to sell their shit or buy shit from ex-socialists, and now they're getting out there. Another one reason, number three, the budding democracy and its discontents. At the start of the 90s, Albania was struggling with trying to start a democracy while trying to suppress the organized crime syndicates that were growing exponentially. 
Shifting from communism to democracy is not easy, and the Albanian government deeply struggled with that. With a starving populace most of the time, and resources were spent on trying to make democracy work and making sure that people had adequate food. Needless to say, organized crime flourished during this time. It was so bad that it was literally destabilizing the countries politically and almost led to its absolute collapse. People would not go outside after dusk, and even the police were scared to enforce the laws. The Ahmedi regime tried to fix it with more policing, but that did not work. The mobs began to organize into full-fledged criminal enterprises, and before the government realized it, they had taken advantage of sweeping liberalism and twisted it into profiteering empires. These men still run the money empires and, and some extent, are immune from the laws in Albania. So fucking, what is this, goddamn, in the 90s, almost 40, 30 years ago, these guys are still in power. And the last one was the Yugoslavian Civil War. Oh, this one's pretty long. But this is going to give you the... So right now, we're going to go last one this Yugoslavian, and that'll give you the history of how the Albanian mob happened, and then we're going to learn about the guy, Nasir. I know it's a lot of information, but... I don't know. Hey, this is... This is all your own research and shit. Yeah, I got some guys helping me. This one is, I think, my guy, Gray Livingston. All right, I got a few. I got one Polish guy, Patrick. I got my buddy, Gray, downtown, Living, Mr. Livingston. Then I got another guy, Dr. Joe Hoffswell. He's a, a, a professor at Western Kentucky University. I like this organization of Internet Sleuth. Yeah. Or just cracking the cases of these weird criminal organizations. Weird criminal organizations. The what the good one I got is this uh, my buddy Patrick, the Polish guy. He's like Polish from Poland, and so I got him to do the Polish mob. So he's gonna be able yeah. to look up all the stuff that's written in Polish and get all that kind of stuff. And this is gonna be a three parter. It's gonna be pretty fucking cool. Yeah, man. It's like the Liam Nelson scroll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's be like a taken all these special. Items. These guys, yeah, Albanians are kind of the taken people. Oh, okay, word. Yeah, yeah, pretty sure. Yeah. The Yugoslavian Civil War was the last reason that the Albanian mob was able to grow from a mob or grow from being like slack jawed yokels than, and simps for the Italian mob to being their own thing. This is a big one, but avoiding a deep dive into the history of Eastern Europe, there is one important thing to know. Before the Civil War b- began, Yugoslavia acted as a conduit for 60% of Western Europe's heroin, and needless to say, the war killed that. Initially, replacing the drug trade was a ride in large-scale trading of arms, goods, and people. Remember? Taken, yeah. Additionally, being the friendly neighbors there were, Albanian organized crime groups offered their service to drug manufacturers in Turkey and the Middle East that had lost their mules to war. Heron would get shipped to Greece and then Macedonia, and then the Albanians would haul it by boat across the Adriatic to Italy or Switzerland. Nerds say this has only increased with time, and estimates now say that 70-80% of the legal heron trade in Switzerland and Germany run through Albanian mobs. It was immensely successful because the ethnic Albanians living in these countries would use their storefronts to hide and launder the drugs and money. Remember, they were supposed to buy storefronts because they wanted to get rid of the socialist stuff that the government was trying to give out free, so they were grabbing more selling shit at a cut rate, low thing. These guys start, and this is what the Nasser guys, start buying all these companies and then laundering money, saying that this, you know... What were we just talking? One of those corner stores that they bought from the government because it was socialist. Then they start having this thing. It's never open. They're laundering money. And this guy, Nasser, does it quite a lot. It was immensely successful because the ethnic Albanians living in the country would use their storefronts to hide and launder drugs and money. Important to note that the drugs specifically intended for Italy were allowed in with the assistance and blessing of the Sicilian Mafia. Tied hand-in-hand to the genesis of organized crime syndicates was a system of recruitment that was painfully Albanian. 
It was tied to family, but more strongly to being ethnic Albanian. Many of the original refugees who sought shelter in Albanian, Albania were young men who lost their jobs when state-run factories closed down. This made them perfect for recruitment into crimes and groups, and numbers began to explode. So people are losing jobs because, you know, if you're socialist, you're giving the people everything. So if you're going to switch over to be capitalist, you got to sell your place and let people run them. Now people are losing jobs. Family members don't know what the fuck they're doing. Another source of recruitment was the Emerge community, E-M-I-G-R-E. I don't know what that word is. Community located throughout Western Europe. Having been given papers to travel as political refugees, ethnic Albanians, especially those who have been previously in Yugoslavia, found themselves in foreign countries without government assistance, and many were forced into organized crimes. Where there was no money in their new homeland, there was money in families who would pay them to store drugs. The final and perhaps most influential Groups of recruit into Albanian organized crimes were corrupt politicians and law enforcement personnel. While some were directly linked to crime groups and engaged on the on-ground acts, um, the majority of their assistance comes from allowing these groups to operate without restrictions. The name and number of individuals implicated with these groups is too great to include all of them are, but as of 1996, the list included the former Prime Minister and Deputy Prime Minister, the Minister of Defense, multiple members of the Democratic Parliament, and a large portion of the Macedonian Army. So their whole government is being paid by the Albanian Mafia. The People's Socialist Republic of Albania has also had a secret police force established in 1943 named the Sigurimi. I talked about them earlier. And that time came and then the short-lived Bufi administration, newly unemployed and hateful towards the new government, ex-Sigurimi agents began to offer their services to those willing and capable of paying them organized crimes. The ex-agents turned state-trained mercenaries and were able to train and assist the organized crime groups in circumventing state controls, which led to military-style operations performed by crime groups that had previously been nothing more than street gangs. So essentially, when you make poor people have no way to get out of being poor, they go to crime. Yeah. And they have a fuck you attitude. Yep. And that can go from America, that can go to fucking Albania, that can go to the Philippines, Canada, Canada. anyone who feels that there's no way of getting out, just like a crab in a bucket or a rat in a bucket will do whatever it can to survive and provide for its family. Is it literally the story behind every criminal? Yep. It's never just like such and such was bored. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, looking for some shit to do. It's these motherfuckers yep. horribly displaced. I mean, it's like okay. I mean, the guy. I mean, to not have the foresight to think if. I mean, it happens in America all the time where right. we train these like military outfits in other countries, and we're like, "You guys are going to be on our side," and then we leave, and then they turn against us. It happened with, I believe, the Taliban and ISIS. It happened with, um. The uh, the cartel group that I just did a couple weeks ago, where we go down, we trade some people, train some people, then we leave, then they use that shit against us. Yeah, because they know all our shit. Because they know all our shit, and guess yeah. what pays more than law enforcement? Yeah, crime. Yeah, always. Always. This wealth is built off crime. Yeah, I mean, good guy. Look at fucking uh, JFK. His dad was a bootlegger and kind of a evil piece of shit. 
Here we go. Now we're going to go into the Nasser Kalmendi story. This guy was kind of like the head of the Albanian mob. Got you. Nasser Kalmendi is born in Peck in western Kosovo on February 15th, 1957. About 20 years later, he's 19, well, 19 years later, right. Nasser Kalmendi is arrested for attempted murder and serves eight months in prison. So his first 20 years, there's not really much going on. He, at 19, he starts pretty hot. In the 80s, Kalmindi begins business operations by smuggling textiles and gold from Turkey into Kosovo. So I've been doing this for a while. Uh-huh. And every every smuggler always starts textiles. to textiles. Yeah. The fuck is it about textiles? <laughs> That's what we don't think about as Americans, like our level of crime. We always think it's like weed and coke. Like mm-hmm. if we would just think of textiles. Yeah, textiles is a gateway product to ship. Yeah. <laughs> It's a big money, though. It's a big I'm money. talking yeah. about little street money. Yeah. They're, and what is textiles? It's like fabrics and shit, Yeah, right? it's fabrics and shit and, like, cheap clothes. Silks and clothes. God damn, this guy's got fucking shit in his own shirt. My favorite, uh, one of our best episodes is uh, Zen Li Gong. Mm-hmm. He was a Mexican cartel that was Chinese. So he started this Chinese company wow. for textiles. Like, he's wow. Chinese Chinese. The guy's name is Zen Li Gong. And he goes over to Mexico, oh, and he starts bringing all the textiles but uh, he learns how to start bringing in cocaine, starts bringing cocaine. Then he starts working with El Chapo, but then he fucks up and uh, tells on the government to some people, and then the government has him uh, taken to jail. He was been he, this dude Zen Li Gong that was is taken to a Mexican jail about eight to ten years ago. Still has never gone to court once, never allowed to have a lawyer, never anything. Damn. He just went after the politic politicians, and it's like you can't fuck with them, dog. Yeah, because at that level, you don't get no rights. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's Mexico; they can do whatever the fuck they want to. In the nineties, Kalmindi begins to smuggle in oil, tobacco, and drugs into Kosovo, as well as being accused of smuggling guns. Nineteen ninety-eight, local records: Kalmindi became a citizen of Bosnia Her- Herzegovina. I don't know what I mean. Just another Serbia. October nineteen ninety-eight, Kalmindi incorporates a trading company in Sarajevo. Called Miss Donna, S A R A J E V O. April 2003, five years later, Miss Donna is liquidated. According to the court records at the time, Kalmindi had not registered it with the tax administration and had done no business dealings. So essentially, what we just talked about with uh, the Albanian government was selling all these state run businesses to people for cheap, and then those people were using it as fronts. That's what this guy was doing. 2003, Nasser Kalmendi comes under investigation for arson and planting a bomb but is never convicted. A year later in February, a European U- Union police mission advisor, EUPM, informed local police that Kalmendi was involved in a shipment of 10 kilos of heroin from Srebrenik, Bers- Bosnia, or Herzegovina. I mean, good God, these people's fucking... To Germany. No charges were filed in this case. So what this is right here, he's paying off the big dogs. Remember we were talking about... Yeah. In 1996, that the prime minister was getting paid off, the defense minister was getting paid off, the vice prime minister was getting paid off. This guy just got in trouble by the European Union police mission. I'm guessing that's like a FBI kind of thing that works all the all the countries in Europe. And they're like, yo, this guy's bringing in 10 kilos of heroin. And they're just like, nah, I don't care. Because that's kind of why he went to Bosnia, Herzegovina, or whatever the fuck the name is, is because he was able to pay them off more. And that's why he became a citizen there. In the same year, about three months later, May 10th, 2004, Nasser Kalmendi's son, Basir Kalmendi, is sentenced to six months probation for buying and carrying a gun without a permit. 
A year later, April 2005, in a raid against Kelmendi's family, Liradon Kelmendi is found guilty with illegal firearms. Later that year, December 2005, Nasser Kelmendi's half-brother, Basir, founds an ice cream manufacturing company called Aldo Lado. When this business was brought up in trial, Kelmendi told prosecutors he owned it and that the company simply bought a warehouse and sold it. Um, Liradon goes to jail for seven months. November 2006, Nasser Kelmendi incorporates a branch office of his Sarajevo firm, Casa Grande, in Belgrade. The Center for Investigative Reporting and the Serbian police went into the registered location but were unable to find local business and only found a house. After further investigations, it was revealed that the firm had no open accounts with a commercial bank as well as no registered workers or vehicles. So these are all fronts. This guy's just setting up a ton of fronts for illegal operations. June 27, 2007, Remez Delashic, a Bosnian warlord, was murdered, and international police say Kelmendi had extensive his motives for the murder, but he was not tried once again. Has the government getting his back. So as of right now, the man has been doing this shit for a long time, since he was 20 in what, the 60s? When was this man 20? 76. So 76 to 2007. So... So he was deep in the system. Yeah, he's, this is 30 years this man has gone in, and over and over again, he's not getting in trouble. Yeah. He's running obvious fake businesses. Yeah. He's murdering people, not getting in trouble. 2008, the State Investigation and Protection Agency, SIPA, gives a presentation at the General Secretariat of Interpol titled Nasser Kelmendi's Criminal Organization. During this presentation, they led that Kelmendi's heads of one of the best and biggest criminal crime syndicates in all of Eastern Europe. That's pretty good. I feel like if you're running one of the best crime syndicates in Eastern Europe, Eastern Europe's like the L.A. for comedy, but for, like, crime syndicates, I feel like. Oh, shit. You know? Yeah. All a bunch of weird, cross-eyed, greasy-haired white guys in leather jackets. (laughs) You're the best over there. You got to be pretty good. Yeah. It's like the NFL of crime syndicates. February 9th, 2009, the Albanian Prime Minister Sali Berisha accused a World Bank investigative panel of being influenced by the Albanian mafia after they released a report on a controversial coastal management project that was used to demolish parts of a village and leave many families homeless. The World Bank refutes the claims. Most likely on this one, um, the Albanian Sali Berisha decided not to work with uh, Nasir, and they had that happen to him. Later that year, July 2nd, 2009, Elvis Kenmendi is given one year probation for violence. He pleads guilty to hitting a woman with his fist as well as hitting a man in the face three times. That's pretty good. You got a year for that? That's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. March 30th, 2010, for the first time, the Kenmendi can is called a super mafia and labeled as one of the most dangerous in the Balkans. Two years later, May 7th, 2012, Nasir Kenmendi admits to illegally constructing the Casa Grande Hotel. In Montenegro, he begins building the hotel in 2009 without a permit and continue build, even though after the municipal government ordered him to stop construction, he was fined 13 grand, which he paid the same day. So he didn't really give a fuck about that. <laughs> yeah, just threw it. Yeah, what do you want? Two, uh, you want two 14-year-old girls or 13 grand? <laughs> June 1st, 2012. The White House sanctions Nasser for drug trafficking under the Kingpin Act, along with Mexican and Afghan drug lords. May 5th, 2013, Kelmendi is arrested in Pristina, Kosovo. He was released after a 48-hour hold, but rearrested shortly after. Elvis Kelmendi is arrested and sentenced to four years in prison for the attempted murder of Elvis Hodzic. Notably, the prosecution requested a stiffer sentence, claiming that Kelmendi's confession was met with too much leniency. So this is going to be the fall of these guys, and then we're going to go into 
the Kelmendi synopsis. January 16, 2015, Nasser Kelmendi's court case in Kosovo begins where he's charged with aggravated murder, two counts of organized crime, and six counts of sale and possession of drugs in various capacities, including this charge as managing and overseeing a narcotics ring. February 2017, Nasser Kelmendi is released from prison, but just a few days afterwards put back in jail because of a separate ruling. See, now they're trying to get this motherfucker, right? So, like, when he went after that prime minister, right, remember... Then all of his shit starts falling apart because it sounds corny to say, but the politicians are the biggest crooks and criminals there are. They just have the law on their side. Facts. And I'm judging this based off of narco episodes. Yeah. That seems like that fucked Escobar, right? Yep. When you start going after certain political niggas, it's a wrap. It's... It's like it's like a vicious dog. If all you got to do every day is give this vicious dog, like you know, a head, a scratch on his head, and a yep. steak, and the one day you're like, man, I don't need to fuck with this dog and these goddamn steaks. It's just making me broke. And then that yeah. dog's gonna fucking murder you, dog, dude. Kelmeny's house arrest is replaced by another sentence, um, February first, twenty eighteen, in a court in Kosovo. Nasser Kelmeny is found guilty of unauthorized possession with intent to distribute, sell, export, import dangerous narcotic drugs and sentenced to six years in prison they also decided that the time previously spent in custody will be deducted from a sentence february 2021 kelmendi is arrested in serbia and is there to this day now the synopsis of nasser kelmendi there isn't much to say about nasser before 1998 he was born in peck to the albanian parents he twiddled around for 20 years and in the 80s stepped in the smuggling scene first was legal things like golden textiles a few years down the line he got into the cigarette smuggling business and around that time began to smuggling guns and other drugs in 1998 he became a legal citizen of bosnia and this is where his criminal enterprise began to take off shortly after becoming a citizen he incorporated a business which through five years of being active had done no business apparently had never been registered for taxes because it had been no business that had no back taxes to file the nasser kelmendi story synopsis there isn't much to say about nasser kelmendi before 1998 he was born in peck kosovo to albanian parents he twiddled around for 20 years in the mid 80s stepped up in the smuggling scene first it was legal things like gold and textiles a few years down the line he got into the cigarette smuggling business and around that time began to smuggle in guns and other drugs in 1998 he became a legal city citizen of bosnia Herzegovina, and this is where his criminal enterprise begins to take off. Shortly after becoming a citizen, he incorporates a business which, through the five years of being active, had done no business whatsoever. Apparently, it had never been registered for taxes because it did no business. They had no back taxes to file. I'm gonna grab this water bottle um, over here because it's too far. I'll put it on the put it on the desk. Might be might spill. Might ruin everything I own. All right, so you know. Kyrie uh, had to take a little break. It's fine. I don't know if he was really enjoying the pod. Uh, so he moves to Bosnia because he can have his own reign there. And the reason the business has no taxes because it was a front. And like we said, you know, textiles does seem to be the gateway drug to smuggling drugs. Because, I mean, once you're smuggling shirts, and you're like, God damn, I'm making a couple nickels a shirt. And then you're smuggling cigarettes. You're like, hey, these cigarettes are... I mean, cocaine just keeps... Making more sense. And that's why fentanyl makes so much sense if you really think about it. Because cocaine, you know, people like that because you can bring so much less in at the same size of weed and make ten times as much money. Fentanyl, you could have a baseball size of fentanyl. If you don't have fentanyl, it's uh, one of the more powerful uh, opiates around. And uh, most of the time now when people are doing opiates, whether pills or something they bought from the street or heroin, it is actually just fentanyl because a pin drop, like a the head of a pen... 
is as much fentanyl that you would have in like, I don't know, six grams, 10 grams of uh, heroin or not more. So that's why they're bringing that in. Then they dice it up and try and give it into heroin and different pills. But the problem is just some guy in his house printing pills on a pill press. Uh, pretty cool little thing for if you're going to make like homemade ecstasy, but not if you're making evil fentanyl pills. But what I'm saying here is it just makes sense of why you'd go from textiles all the way to legal, uh, non-legal drugs. Calmendi's Legal Enterprises. Calmendi really started expanding in 2003 after he liquidated the aforementioned business. The same year, he was tried for arson and planting a bomb, but was not convicted. And the following year, he was tagged by Western Europe as a potential big-time heroin dealer. Once again, not convicted. Why? Because he's paying off fucking the bigwigs. We saw in 1996 he had paid off, well, the Albanian mob, which is, you know, him. Um, they paid off the Prime Minister, Vice President Minister, Secretary of Defense. They're pretty much owning these places, and that's why they go to Bosnia Herzegov, whatever the fuck that place is. Um, Serbia Light, because they can control the shit and they don't have to worry about anything. Over the next two years, all three of Nasser Kelmendi's sons would earn themselves a criminal charge of some minor accord. But during this time, his half-brother founded an ice cream manufacturing company that never actually made any ice cream. Soon after the ice cream company, Adolado. A-D-O-L-A-D-O was founded, Nasser Kelmendi began to dabble in real estate. In this situation, dabble means dabble as a drug lord would, not like me, you know. Like I dabble in crypto, you know, try a little car, drop drop a little cash on some Cardano here, some Decentraland, maybe a little Ethereum token or two. This man, uh, he purchases multiple hotels in Sarajevo, S-A-R-A-J-E-V-O, in Albania, and one built in Montenegro called Casa Grande, which means big house. I wonder if that's what it means in Serbian as well. But uh, you can guess if a drug lord made a hotel in Montenegro called The Big House. It's probably, it's probably pretty big. Along with these hotels, he owned over 20 homes across the Balkans in multiple cigarette shops and gas stations. I've always wanted to own a liquor store. My Really my dream in life, uh, if comedy didn't work out would be to buy a liquor store in the, like a building have a liquor store on the bottom or a bar on the bottom a la you know how i met your mother and just kind of run in that thing and i think i'd be pretty good at it people say liquor stores and shit are really bad to own because there's robberies and then bars are really bad because everyone's getting drunk and get in trouble but i wouldn't care at that point you know i didn't really have much going on comedy didn't work out and in this other life form <laughs> other dimension i'm probably pretty happy man do i think i could would I drink myself to death if I owned a liquor store? No, I think I would eat myself to death. Like, imagine just staring at hot Cheetos and fucking tropical Skittles all day, bro. I'd lose my mind. Around this time, Kelmendi also began to invest in automobiles. Until his arrest in 2018, he purchased around 10 cars a year. That's normal. That's what normal people do who have two fake businesses. Most of the cars Kelmendi purchased were luxury cars, Ferraris, and the like, but he also made a noble purchase of two Greek Jeep Grand Cherokees in 2005. The Jeeps were purchased vanilla, but they were armored in America before being shipped to Bosnia. It's pretty cool. I really, you know... I mean, the PCC guy had that one armored car that he got destroyed in, the guy who was against the PCC. Remember that last week where the PCC came next to him with, like, an anti-aircraft gun and just loaded the fuck out of his car? If you don't remember that one, you yeah, you're probably going to have to actually look that up if you want to see the gun. The gun was in uh, what looked like to be the back of a Tahoe, but this was kind of the ones that were, like, on a tank, that huge one that goes, like, so 
they put that in like a Tahoe slash minivan. Uh, you only could see the picture from the inside, and it was covered in blood and guts. And then they pulled up next to the guy who was in a completely armored out car and just lit him the fuck up. So that's pretty cool. At the time, it was prohibited in America to sell armored vehicles to foreign countries. Didn't know that, but that's pretty cool. But the sell happened nonetheless. That's America. What is the more American than that? Like, hey, you can't sell this to other people. Oh, how much money? Yeah, you can take one. We can have two. I can get two by the end of the week. Kalmendi kept one of the cars for himself and gave one of the vehicles to Fahrudin Rednicic, F-A-H-R-U-D-I-N-R-A-D-O-N-C-I-C, who owns and operates the largest and most influential newspaper in Bosnia. The name of that institution is called the Zenvini Avaz. Zenvini Avaz, D-N-E-V-N-I-A-V-A-Z. Radnicic had stated that he legally purchased the Jeep from Kalmindi and that he currently rents it out to high-profile clients of the newspaper. Um, what are clients of the newspaper? It's like guys that, guys that like get newspapers delivered? the fuck is a high powered client don't lie dude you're working with a drug dealer you don't post any stories about him because he's paying off the prime minister and he's owning your country and just stop being a puss dog nasar kelmendi and the family are also engaged in dangerous loan sharking to residents of albania and kosovo offering loans with interest as high as 10 percent per month that seems pretty bad i mean I don't know. I feel like I've gotten a loan that bad before. But I guess that's maybe two per year. I don't really know how credit cards work that well. I have one. Um, actually, I have two now. My girlfriend added me to hers for some reason. And then I've been spend, spending a lot on that one. No, I don't ever use it because it's a fucking simp-ass move to start spending your girlfriend's money. Um, I think it was she just wanted me to, in case I'm out to buy some stuff for her on that card. But um, yeah, mine, I don't really know my credit card percentage. I don't think it's very good because I've had this credit card for a very long time. And I've and what I think credit cards, I think you're supposed to get one and then upgrade to another one and then upgrade to another one until you get like the stuff that is really working for you. I have been having the same piece of shit Chase card since I was just out of high school. And... Um, for some reason, my it's in my dad has like the the um, account information for it. I pay. He doesn't pay my credit card bill. Look, I'm not a fucking rich kid or a little bitch ass. But he like is the one who tells me what I owe, and so I pay him every month. Um, and that's always very weird because I think he makes up interest payments. You know, he's like, you know, this is this could be you're paying almost twenty five percent on this, and I'm like, what what is this? A Nasser Kelmendi card? Did you get this from Bosnia? Herzogov, pop, 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 is this a Kalmendi card? Kalmendi's ties with Germany. According to an investigation by Interpol, Nasir Kalmendi has an astronomical amount of ties to Germany. For one, the Kalmendi family arranges for hundreds of ethnic Albanians to act as interpre interpreters for the German Federal Armed Forces when they entered in the region in the 90s. To date, the German Federal Armed Forces, known as Bundeswehr, I'm not going to lie, Bundeswehr. Bundeswehr. So, <laughs> I don't. I'm not in Bundeswehr, but I am in Bundeswehr light. That is a lot like than the German one, but it's you know less calories, and we don't do as many things with NASA Kalmendi. Is in the top thirty largest military forces in the world. In the European Union, is second only to France in terms of personnel. Who would have thought that in the European Union, 
France and Germany had the biggest armed forces. I guess maybe Germany can't have an armed force that's very large. I feel like if you're in the top 30 largest military forces, forces also that means you're probably 30 or 29. And 30 people have been... Yeah, I could see. I mean, Germany's probably not allowed to have an armed forces, and that's why it is. But only second to France. I didn't even really think of France of having any military. I don't know, you know? Just guys with baguette rifles running in there, throwing goat cheese at people. I don't really know how France works. I'm not even sure it's a real country. I've never been there. I've only been to Mexico and America, and I'm only for sure that those are real countries. And maybe uh, Afghanistan, because it looks like we really fucked them up. Kalmendi is closely connected to multiple lobbying associations in Germany, as well as many high-ranking German politicians with business interests in the Balkans. It is these politicians that bring into question just how influential Nasir Kelmendi is. When the Balkan states were divided and established, certain German politicians and businessmen saw it as an opportunity to capitalize on previously strong relationships. The Balkan states had raw resources. Germany had car companies. Some believe that the two states develop a symbiotic relationship where German corporations manage trade and organize crime families. Kelmendi used the corporations to launder their money. Even further out, there are some claims that Kelmendi's family were important partners of the German political criminal cartel that helped to organize the Kosovo War in the late 90s. I mean, number one, uh, I want to find out more about this German political criminal cartels. That sounds pretty great. Number two, you know, washing their money in these weird German companies comes back a little bit, a little close to that old Breaking Bad. Anyone else? You know, when he starts washing his money in those uh, that weird German company over there? That show was pretty great, man. You can almost look back at a lot of the shit that's been in half of these podcasts, and Breaking Bad has sampled it somewhat. So, once again, fantastic show. The end of the Kelmendi story. Even though he has been arrested and released multiple times, it wasn't until the mid-2000s that Nasir Kelmendi began to truly feel the steamy breath of the law. Just like that one guy at the bar just keeps stopping, touching the the nape of your neck and the bottom of your back. He's like, hey, can I get you a drink? And you're like, yo, law, back the fuck up. But guess what? The law spiked Nasser's drink, and he's fucking ramming it in the bathroom. That is one of the worst things I've probably ever said. In Like putting, like, date rape into German politics or uh, Nasser Kilmendi's life. He's not German. Well, he's in German politics. He's not German. He's actually a man of the world. Interpol had released a document in 2008 detailing his criminal activity in the Balkans, but at the time was unable to muster law enforcement necessary to arrest him. It was around this time that his three sons, Elvis, Liridon, and Basir, began to get in trouble with the law as well. Number one, um, it's always weird when one kid has a somewhat normal name. I mean, okay, I'm not, I'm not Serbian or Bosnian or whatever, but... Elvis uh, is standing out a little bit, a little bit like a sore thumb. It actually reminds me of a kid when I used to go to high school with named Bun Long Dragon Hong. Okay, uh, not to give it away, he was Chinese. And his brother's name, yep, you guessed it, Jason, Jason Hong. I was like, uh, maybe, kind of more felt like they were like, his parents were like calling him Bun Long, and they are like, yo, we cannot do this again. We've been bunging, we've been longing, we've been honging, and let's just throw a Jason, maybe a Chad, a Rufus. And that's kind of what, you know, maybe Nasir did. He was all doing Liridon, Basir, Elvis. The three of them were arrested for various charges surrounding drugs and weapons, but only Elvis ended up serving substantial time. Wow, they really went after Elvis, huh? 
He's just in a jail cell, pooping, eating a banana, honey, and peanut butter fried sandwich somewhere. In 2013, he was sentenced to four years for the attempted murder of Elvis Hodzic. Elvis H-O-D-Z-I-C. Wow, okay. The question of who killed Elvis has finally been answered. It was Elvis. That is a very fucking funny sentence that was just written. I did not write that one. I'm going to give that one to my guy, Mr. Livingston. Fantastic. Very hilarious thing to say. The question of who killed him. It was Elvis. Oh, man. In 2010, the Kelmendi family was labeled a super mafia and called one of the most dangerous in the Balkans. Um, you got to think of all the other Balkan families. The Radnijiches, the Fuskuskinsnatches. Uh, the Balkans do seem like somewhere I want to visit, though, you know. They do seem beautiful. Um, and I guess they're close to Serbia, and Serbia doesn't really seem that pretty. I picture the Balkans kind of like beautiful white sands, clear water, and then Serbia and Bosnia, I, I picture uh, just um, dark, wet, dude, like smoke coming out of like just everything, just like smoke billowing into the skies. Two years after, afterwards, the White House declared Nasir Kamendi a drug kingpin. Under the Kingpin Act, he became a wanted man internationally and less than a year later was arrested for the first time. Two days later, he was released, but shortly thereafter, arrested again and held until his trial began in 2015. During this trial, he is accused of aggravated murder, organized crime, the sale and possession of drugs, and of course, managing a large-scale narcotics ring. Kalmendi spent 2013 through 2017 in jail and in 2018 was tried again and found guilty of unauthorized possession with intent to distribute, sell, export, import dangerous narcotic drugs. He was sentenced to six years in jail for these crimes but flew under the radar when it came to large-scale racketing and everything else involved in managing the largest crime organization in the Balkans. Once again, why is it the Balkans so important? Because that's where the Sicilian mob traffics their drugs through Turkey and then they go in the Balkans then they go to Italy. Additionally, the four years he had previously spent in jail were deducted from his sentencing, and by March he was released. Five months ago in February, Kalmendi was again arrested in Serbia and remains there as the time of this podcast. That's Nasir Kalmendi's uh, story. <sighs> Some things I would have liked better in this thing. Um, I would have liked a little more crime. You know, let's get into bad stuff he did. This all kind of just seemed like a lot of white-collar crime, you know? Let's get some dirtier stuff on him. But to become a great kingpin, a man who worked almost 40 years, 37 years um, in organized crime, you got to stay in the background, right? You got to move to some weird-ass country like Bosnia. And if you're Bosnian, listen to this. Listen, I have no problems with you. I've never been to your country. That being said, not on my top 30 countries to go to, but... You're probably in there somewhere. I don't know. I don't really know geography. It's pretty much America, um, South America, Mexico, Canada. All of Africa is just one place to me. China, Japan. I'm, I'm good with all the Asian companies. But then Eastern Europe, you know, or Western, all the Slavic. And I don't know. Man. It's all the same to me. Keywords and terms. The LKCK, the National Liberation Movement for Kosovo. The CSCE, Conference on Security and Cooperation in Europe. This allowed Serbian authorities to expel ethnic Albanians from Kosovo. The Kanan of Lek Dukrišini, C-A-N-U-N-O-F-L-E-K-D-U-K-A-G-J-E-N-I. Dukrišini. 
a social hierarchy system based upon respect, family, and loyalty that is used by criminal organizations as a means to assure allegiance. Extended family is given high priority, and any attack upon one family member cons- constitutes a blood feud. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. I like that kind of stuff. I think that should be, you know, everyone should be a canoon of Lek Dukajini. Dukajini. Narco state. This is when all legitimate business institutions are perpetrated by the power and wealth of illegal drug trade. Kind of like a little Bosnia, a little Herzenod dog, maybe a little bit of a Mexico, maybe been a lot of uh, South American, Central American countries. The CIN is the Center for Investigative Reporting. So what, 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 what is the podcast? Like, it's, it's just you reading the history of... Essentially, the podcast is me telling people, like, okay, I love criminals. Right. I like learning about them. I like uh, writing about them. I've always, in every game, every video game, every every toy I bought as a kid, I always liked the bad guys. But I'm tired of fucking hearing about El Chapo, Pablo Escobar, and Griselda Blanco all the time. Every TV show is about them. Every documentary is about them. It's the same shit over and over again. So I'm like, okay, if no one's going to get the cool people that no one's talking about, I'll do it. And then that's essentially what this podcast is about. It's essentially a documentary podcast. That's not a documentary. See, I dig that. But see, this is what I'm like. This is what I'm liking. Like, I'm learning about this shit. So, of course, being a comedian, you know, comics, I want to riff and go off. But I'm also a comedy. I'm also like a, a history nerd. So this shit is interesting. Plus, this is the shit I think people don't consider when they look at the world. They ignore crime aspects of it. So much of big crime runs our day to day life. Yeah, but we don't. Especially see in it. one of these, especially in cities like this or countries where it's just kind of, you know, they're on the kind of a spectrum of a crime. I mean, like these guys, you know, Eastern European, South American countries. Even here, even though. here, yeah, you're right. Even here, but that's what I'm saying. Like, that's what a lot of decision making comes up and down to like at these levels like these motherfuckers are really blow your goddamn head off over their money that's always get like intrigued by these people who uh you know like we see them all the time like arguing on twitter and the i'm not attacking pc culture or nothing like that but the real world and what's really going on is bloody and real yeah there is no you hurt my feelings (laughs) yeah it's I'll blow your fucking brains out and mm-hmm. dismantle your whole family. Yeah, I'll human traffic you. Yeah. So Talk shit now, bitch. I'll put you in a cage and sell you to somebody in a fucking Montenegro. So my question, and this one, and I'm not trying to answer. I don't want to go. No, we're pretty much man. done right now. But that's why I look at stuff too, like, and it's not to go for that hack premise. But Trees already kind of got into it about evil presidents and shit. But that's why I agree with that, where it's like, when we elect presidents, I think we tend to think our presidents are going to have to interact with friendly people. It's not like you just go to another yeah. country and you're like, hey, we should build wells yeah. or we should build hospitals. You're dealing with drug lords. Yeah, hostile <laughs> entities. <laughs> right. They don't These give a... Are- <laughs> they don't give a fuck about anything. They want to take advantage of you. They want to destroy you, and they want to make money off you. Yes, 
So I don't give a fuck about you dance with yeah. Ellen. <laughs> I don't want a person that can dance with Ellen. I want to know, have you ever got down and dirty? Yeah. With a nap, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, can you handle the cricket shit? Yeah. Because that's what you, that's a skill you need. I don't give a fuck about you baking cookies on Good Day America. Or <laughs> what's your favorite? So I like shit like this because it really shows you how the world, how much that shit is ingrained into our everyday life. Mm-hmm. I just, so that's why I'm sitting back taking this shit in. But you got a whole listener base of other criminal people. Yeah, other freaks that love drugs and love drug dealers and are tired of hearing about all the same shit all the time. I mean, this guy's pretty good. Is the stuff? He is. Yeah. He's just. I mean, we we'll go more into it. I'll read this later because it's are gonna. There, and this is so many of these people. Where it's like you don't run out. Yeah, I mean, there's so many. I mean, I already have eight on. So I'm going to do a lot of people, drug lords, and then I'm going to go. I also do, once in a while, I'll do like a Hitman. serial killer no one's ever heard of. But these my listeners don't really like those episodes as much. They really want drug leaders. So what I do is I, I do drug lords, psychos, and then I like to get into gangs, too. I did 18th Street. I did uh, a couple white supremacist gangs. I did the history of white supremacist gangs in America. That was a two-parter pod. That was oh, pretty good. I fucking love that shit. Damn. That was a good one. And then um, I haven't done any. I want to do a big, uh, like a blacking in, L- in America, but I don't want to do the Crips because people have done that. I don't want to do the Vice Lords because people have done Frank that. Lucas and all yeah, that. I don't want to do Frank yeah. Lucas. I don't want to do, do the Detroit guys. I got to try and find one. There was this, there's this gang in Atlanta right now. I tried to do, but there's just no information on them. And they're kind of like, oh, they're called the Down for Anything gang. I got a gang for I'm going to tell you off the uh, mic. Yeah, tell me. I need something good. Yeah. But uh, that's the time right now, buddy. I can kind of do the rest on my own because it's just a lot of reading, and we're just going to repeat the same stuff. Thank you for coming in. No, man, yeah, yeah I appreciate that, man. This is uh, this is informative, Professor Fury. Yeah, it's definitely in uh, I forgot you was a sub, man. Like, this is. Yeah, it's not very, it's not two guys. I mean, there's sometimes you can run bits when they're a little bit more. Uh, so when it's a little more, uh, I think we went more deep into this stuff because this one was kind of just a lot of. Destiny, the Cal, the Calmindy story was kind of a lot less uh, dirty because he kind of, he, they, we didn't talk about it. A lot of times you can get good murders and stuff like this, but this is more a lot of a. Uh, you know, he's one of the top guys. He kind of steps back of it. He just kind of does the white-collar crimes. But, um... Okay, okay, I got you, I got you, I got you. Like, sometimes we'll do, like, a, I, mean, I got one guy I'm trying to do is a famous hitman, and then we'll just go through a bunch of his hits that he did, and that's pretty fun, too. See, that's what I was thinking. Like, each of these dudes are, like, they got to have, like, their top hitman. Yeah. Your listeners like the Hitman episodes, like I uh, see. I'm think I'm thinking. Who's Bubba Fett? You know? Yeah, exactly. I'm trying to find. So that's the one about the Hitman. I really want to do, I might, but I might do like a Hitman episode, like just yeah. five Hitman, because a lot of times you can't get like a guy's whole story. Yeah, yeah, you gotta kind of blend them in. in there, yeah, but uh, to tell the people where they can see you, man, catch me on go on IG, uh, Kyrie Boz, on Instagram. I'll post a lot of stuff on there. My website, videos, uh, places I got, things coming up. So it's Kyrie, K-I-R-Y, B-A-Z-Z on Instagram. 
And uh, check me out, man. I got some funny shit going on over there. Yeah, I think uh, you're one of the best comics working today. I appreciate I've enjoyed that, seeing you grow since we first almost pretty much started comedy around the same time in the same yeah. city. Nutty Mondays. Nutty Mondays. Tristan Thompson, <laughs> man. Twisty Tris lighting me after a minute and a half of me bombing my dick off of. Right. Speaking of, uh, yeah. Give him, give him a light. light. Yeah. He would walk up right to my face. I'm like, all right, buddy. Just because you brought both your girlfriends here right now and there's a lot of hostility in the air. Right. I got lit in the middle of a premise. <laughs> like, let me at least fail the punchline. All right, buddy. Appreciate you coming in. No problem. See ya.